Koala Explorers, today as a special gift for the new year, I'm doing an interview with Dr. Danielle Claude, a biologist and also author of Koala, A Natural History and Uncertain Future. And speaking of gifts, happy birthday to me! It's my 10th birthday today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as a great way to start the new year. Enjoy! Dr. Claude, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for joining me today. Can you tell me a bit about yourself? Sure. So um, I trained as a biologist um, when I was younger um, and I've always had a real love of the natural world. I spent a lot of time outside exploring when I was a kid um, and so I've always been really passionate about that. And then when I got a bit older, after after doing all my studies in zoology and studying animals, I decided that I wanted to be a writer and write about nature and the environment. So that's what I do most of the time is write books about nature. So did you plan on being an author as a biologist as a kid around my age? That's a really interesting question. When I was your age, I think I wanted to be a marine biologist. That's what I decided because I really loved living on, I I loved boats. Um, I actually spent my childhood living on a boat with my parents and I wanted to do something that I could do living on a boat. Then as I got a bit older, I I went through a phase where I decided I wasn't any good at science. Um, And so I stopped doing science. But when I went to university, I discovered that actually science I really, really like. So I went back to went back to doing science then, and um, but I've always loved writing, and even as a kid, I used to love writing writing little books and writing stories. And some of my earliest my earliest books were actually books about animals, when I which I wrote when I was nine. So <laughs> I think I've always had those two interests um, in nature and animals, and also in writing. So when did you become intrigued about koala specifically? Yeah, koalas are a really interesting animal because as an Australian, we're just, you know, we were just very familiar with koalas. You see their pictures everywhere. There's lots of children's books and children's toys. So koalas are very familiar, but we don't actually see them in the wild very often. Um, And when you do, you're sort of looking up a really tall tree and all you can see is this little grey fluffy bottom. Um, there's, you know, they're not really doing very much. That's interesting. So you kind of take them for granted. Um, they're not something you pay much attention to. Um, but when I started looking into them to find out more about them, I realized they're actually really interesting and amazing animals. So I've learned a lot in writing this book that I didn't know about koalas. Have you always favored koalas? Yeah, I think koalas are pretty popular. You know, most people like koalas. They're very, they're pretty gentle, innocuous animals. They don't do anybody any harm. Um, They stick to themselves. They stay up their trees. Occasionally you hear them making a lot of noise in the trees. Um, They're very noisy in the springtime. Um, But apart from that, they just just mind their own business and sit around looking cute. So there's, there's not much to dislike about a koala. Are there any other native Australian animals you like? I like 
I'm really fascinated by animals generally. So nearly any animal I'm studying, I will I will like. Um, I've previously written books on um, orcas or killer whales, which we get around the coast, and you get them in most oceans in the world. So so they're a pretty special animal to me. I've I've studied lots of animals, and and so yeah, all of those animals become a bit special when you work on them. I think I think the more you know about an animal, the the more interesting they are. So getting more onto the topic of koalas themselves, where do you think drop bears originated? Do you think it had something to do with thylakoleocarnifex? Oh, yeah, that, well, that's a, that's a good 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 idea, yeah. And, and people have suggested that, that it's some kind of heritage, you know, an inherited memory of um, thylakoleos, which are a big, you know, um, dangerous predator a marsupial that used to lurk in the forests of Australia. But Silacaleo went extinct a very long time ago, so, you know, 60,000 years or so. So it's a bit unlikely that anybody would remember remember that or even have been able to pass down stories from that long ago. Uh, stories we do know in Australia has some of the oldest stories in the world, um, but those stories tend to be about 7,000 years old. And we, and we know that because they're stories about geological events that we can date, like a volcano erupting or sea levels changing. So we know exactly how old those stories are. But that's all, Silacaleo going, it's a lot older. So I think, to be honest, there's, the drop bear story is very recent. Um, and it seems to have really come to prominence around the time of the success of Paul Hogan, who was a who's a pretty famous comedian who likes telling funny Australian stories. And he was a big fan of drop bears and did some clips about them. So, so I think he had a lot to do with that. So, for the listeners, do you mind just explaining Thylakio carnifex just for the listeners? Yeah. Thylacoleo is a fantastic um, animal. I'm really, really fascinated by them. They, they, so, so, I guess if you imagine a panther-like animal or a leopard-like animal, so a predator that lives in trees and hunts by ambushing its prey, that's a good way of thinking about it in terms of its behaviour. But it's not at all related to panthers or big cats. It's a marsupial, um, and it's probably closest to think of it like a giant killer possum. <laughs> <laughs> that lives up a tree but it's really its own beast entirely so it's got really strong jaws and amazing slicing teeth that um, slice together and and are really good at cutting through meat um, and it's also got some other amazing features so you know how your cat's claws can retract um, and go in and out well Thylacoleo had a retractable thumb claw so it had this great big stabbing thumb claw that it could use for hanging on to its prey so it's a, it's a really amazing beast for sure. Where do you think koalas gen originally evolved from? Well, koalas are part of that, that a big family um, of animals. Their closest living relative is a wombat. And if you're not familiar with a wombat, they're, um, they're a very uh, a, a medium-sized stocky animal. So they're very they're sort of like an oval shape with legs. Um, and they, they live on the ground and, and they live in burrows, so they, they have um, underground burrows, and, and that's the closest living relative to, to a koala, which is also sort of a, a round, <laughs> medium-sized animal, but it just happens to live in trees, so that neither of them have a tail. they both got a big flat nose. Um, but other than that, they're pretty different. Um, 
But if we look at the, you know, the prehistoric animals that are closely related to koalas, we find a lot of their cousins were very different. So another animal that was a close, a relative, not a close relative, but a relative was the Diprotodon, which was around the same time as the Thylacoleo, and they're great big um, animals. They're sort of, they weighed between two and three tonnes. So they're about the size of a small four-wheel drive car um, and they're big grazing animals. So they're a little bit like Australia's equivalent of a woolly mammoth. Um, but um, they're marsup they were marsupials as well, so they carried their young in a pouch, just like the koala does. Speaking of old animals such as Thylacoleo and Diprotodons, what, what do you think ancient koalas specifically did, if there were any ancient koalas? Yeah, well, there, there were a lot of different species of koalas once upon a time. Now, today we only have one species, but there's been, you know, 20 odd different species in the past at different times. Sometimes, you know, more than one species at a time. Sometimes it's just one or two here and there. And they were spread throughout the forests in Australia. So they've always been forest dwellers, which makes us think that they probably always specialised on trees and living in trees and eating leaves. Um, we don't really know a lot about how they live because the only fossils we have of them tend to be their teeth um, because teeth are really, really tough and they survive more than anything else, even bone. So we've got a lot of, we know a lot about their teeth, so we know what they ate and we know that um, prehistoric koalas ate a wider range of leaves than the current koalas um, and quite probably the current koalas have done well because they specialised on eucalypts. So their teeth show us that they eat a particularly tough type of leaf, which is what eucalypts are. Eucalypts are really hard and waxy, um, so, that, so they're really quite hard to chew. It's not like a nice soft lettuce leaf. Um, so uh, we know that koalas lived in trees. We don't, we don't know much more about them. We know what size they were. We know that a lot of them were quite small, much smaller than modern koalas, and then a couple of them were bigger. So there's a giant koala as well. So so that that's about the extent of our knowledge. We'll have to wait until somebody finds a whole koala skeleton to tell us more. This might not really be an equivalent question since we just found out that there isn't a lot of information about ancient koalas, but which koala do you think would be more adaptive to the modern world? Ancient koalas or koalas of, say, around the last two centuries? Well, definitely the, the modern koala is supremely adapted to the modern world, um, that's for sure. And and we know, you know, there were a couple of species of koalas that went extinct not that long ago. You know, it's still thousands of years ago, but it's relatively more recent. Um, and those ones died out as the forests retracted and they, they've become much smaller and they've, they're just along the east coast, whereas they used to extend further inland in Australia. So, so we know that tells us that the modern Modern koala is uniquely adapted to our local, you know, our, the forests we have now and, and the eucalypts in particular. I suspect it's possible that the prehistoric koalas couldn't eat eucalypts particularly well because eucalypts have got a lot of toxins in them. So, um, you know, that's a very special diet and you have to have a very special animal that, that can do that and survive in those forests. So along the line of toxic eucalyptus leaves, so a lot of people know that koalas eat eucalyptus leaves and then the only animal can do it who can eat them but how do they how do they digest them 
Yeah, it's a really complicated answer to that question. So the first thing is they have a really amazing stomach and digestive system. Um, so, so like a lot of animals that have to eat plant matter, a lot of animals have really complicated stomachs and all sorts of things. The herbivores especially have really complex stomachs. The koala has a couple of special features that help it. The first one is it has a thing called a cecum, which we have an appendix, and that's a little tiny um, bit of our digestive system that's just a little bit like a, it's about the size of your thumb, and it's a little bit left over from the cecum. So we have lost our cecum. We don't have a very big one anymore. But koalas have got a huge one. So their, digest, their cecum is a couple of metres long. So it's, it's really enormous. And that's kind of like a big stew pot. So they they put they chew up the leaves and they they wash them around in a sort of a soup and they whoosh all that soup into the cecum and it sits there for a few days and in the cecum are a whole a little little ecosystem of gut bacteria and microbes and those gut bacteria and microbes are specially equipped to break down leaves so they break down the leaves and. Um, get all the nutrients out of the leaves for the koala and then the koala can utilise that. But the other thing that the koala has to do is get rid of the toxins and that's a different process. So the toxins all get, the, the, that nutritious soup gets swept off into the liver and the koala has a very special, it's got a really big complicated liver that's supercharged for getting rid of toxins. So it gets rid of toxins amazingly well. And, and a really good example of how good they are at doing that is that they are good at getting rid of toxins, but they're also good at getting rid of medicine and drugs because the, their, their body just treats them like toxins. So if we were to treat a human for a, for a particular disease, that might only take you know three days of medicine to get rid of that disease, some antibiotics. Um, a koala would have to be treated for a month on, for the same disease. And, of course, koalas are much smaller as well. So so their livers are pretty amazing. So still covering their diet, how do they survive drinking so little water? Yeah, there's, they, they do. Their name, koala, comes from an Indigenous Australian word for, which, may, which apparently means does not drink. And it's true, koalas sit up in trees and they, they can survive for a long time without coming down to drink water, but they do get a lot of leaf, uh, moisture from the leaves. So they are extracting all the nutri the, the water and nutrients from the leaves that they're eating. Um, and they conserve, you know, they, they conserve water quite a lot. So they've got, you know, their noses probably don't um, lose water f f uh, as much as other animals and things like that. Um, the main thing with the um, the water is that, that that even though we say they don't drink, they do need to drink. So they do like coming down and having a drink. If you've got a bowl of water in your garden and you've got koalas around, they'll come down and have a drink out of it. Um, and we've all seen pictures of them drinking from a water bottle or something. You know, after a fire, they'll they'll approach people and and see them. They'll happily take water from people if you offer it to them if they're thirsty. Um, and koalas are actually, even even though we live in a very dry place in Australia, Australia is generally quite dry, koalas are, they prefer the forests that are a bit wetter. So, and especially um, mother koalas that are raising joeys, they especially need wetter forests. So they will favour the rivers along the water, you know, the, the forests along the rivers um, where the trees are a bit moister and a bit lusher. 
um, and a little bit, you know, more nutritious and healthy for them. So, so water is important. It's just not not obvious. <laughs> Most marsupials or mammals in general have thirteen ribs in their rib cage. Is that correct? But apparently, koalas have one less than the usual thirteen. Is that true, and why? Yeah, they do have. They have um most. Yeah, I think they have one less than most marsupials have. I mean, ribs do vary a bit between different mammals, so so there is a bit of variation there. But I think in, for example, humans have very a very strong boxy rib cage. You know, our, our rib cage is quite robust, and that's probably from because we need to run, we have to have a really strong chest and for the for, for running and that motion. Koalas don't often run um, and their main issue is flexibility. So they want a bit of flexibility in their spine so that they can climb and, and wriggle around. So they might have lost a rib because of that um, or perhaps to make room for their bigger stomach. I don't know <laughs> what the exact cause was, but that it's probably that. that you can see their spine is particularly long and adapted to being flexible and and so that's probably to help them climb so koalas are have been announced as an endangered species so as an endangered species do you think they should be kept in zoos or bred in zoos well zoos have a very particular role in conservation we know that when we're looking to conserve an animal we need to conserve it in the wild where it where it comes from so that usually means we have to protect its habitat and we have to protect whatever is going wrong in its habitat that's making it go go you know be endangered in the first place so whether that's hunting in the case of some animals or habitat loss which is a very common thing so for koalas we really need to protect their habitat now some animals become so endangered that they have no habitat or there's nowhere safe for them to be in the wild and they have to be in zoos so zoos are like a, a little protection mechanism for the extremely endangered animals. But zoos also play another function, and that's really important in terms of educating people about animals because we don't, we don't go out into nature very much anymore and we're often people who live in cities are often quite isolated and it's really important that people understand all the other amazing animals that we share our world with and how important they are to protect. And zoos play a really important function in in helping people understand that and and koalas are particularly important for that because they're not the most endangered animal um that we have in australia for sure they're a long way behind then they're not as at risk a lot as a lot of other animals are but they're really really important for connecting with people because people really love them and they're very popular so they're like a, a flagship for conservation you know they're, they're, they represent all the other animals in the forest that also need protecting so what do you think about non-accurate information on the internet about koalas or any animals or topic in general? Yeah, well, there's certainly a lot of myths about koalas out there and other animals. And, and yeah, I guess that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to write my book was to help get some more factual information out there and look at the latest science too because sometimes we have old information and it's been updated so a really good example of that is the idea that koalas have a really small brain um, and that's a very pervasive myth that comes from a whole heap of factors people used to think their brains just only took up 60 percent of their skull and and rattled around in their brain but which is not which is not true, and, and recent studies have, have shown that that probably came from looking at brain, you know, 
specimens that have been pickled in alcohol and kept in a museum and the the, the um, brain had shrunk so it looked like it was small but it wasn't so you know we do need to keep updating our information and make sure we've got the latest information um and koalas are not not um particularly they're not they're not they're not particularly stupid <laughs> like some people think they are because they don't do very much people think they might be a bit stupid um but there's no evidence of that they're they're pretty normal for most mammals uh, it's not that i'm saying they're super smart or anything but but there's there's nothing with their their brain or their thinking processes it's perfectly suited for being a koala most people now know that the koala is one of the animals on the endangered list so what do you think are the animal signs of animal endangerment in general? So it's really interesting. Sometimes animals are endangered because, uh, are declared endangered because there's so few of them left that they're actually at risk of not breeding enough to maintain their population and they might disappear. Koalas are not in that situation yet. We still have a lot of koalas in some areas. So um, where I live, there's an abundance of koalas. And in um, Victoria, another southern state of Australia, there's also a lot of koalas. But the thing that's worrying people is that in the northern states on the east coast of Australia, um, the populations are declining very rapidly. So there's still quite a lot of them. Um, but we have to remember koalas are distributed over a very wide area. So although there's quite a lot of them, they're very, you know, they're thin on the ground. So um, the, it's the rate of decline that is worrying people there and also their vulnerability to things like bushfires, which are becoming more frequent. And, and bushfires impact the forests they live in. Um, specifically, the fires typically burn in the forest, not in other areas. So they lose that, that remaining habitat. And we just don't have as much of that forest as we used to have. Do you think that the Australian government could have been more fast at realising that koalas were endangered? And what could the Australian government do or are doing to prevent for them, for them to prevent extinction of the koala? That's a really good question. So um, generally speaking, most governments and Australian governments in, in, are also, they're committed to conservation. So they're very good at declaring parks and national parks and conservation reserves. But generally speaking, across the world, um, we're less good at actually putting funding into maintaining those parks and looking after them. So it's not simply a matter of just locking up some habitat in a park and not letting people cut it down. You also have to protect it. So we have to do, in Australia, we have to do a lot of weeding to make sure weeds aren't getting into the parks and, and damaging the ecosystem. And a lot of feral animal control. So we have to get rid of a lot of the introduced species of animals that do a lot of damage, like foxes and um, wild dogs, feral cats, um, pigs, rabbits, uh, goats, camels. We've got a lot of feral animals <laughs> that cause us a lot of trouble. So all of those things have to be controlled and managed. So you can't just leave them alone anymore because we've, we've upset the balance of the ecosystem. So governments need to spend more on that and they also need to increase the protection we're giving to um, the remaining forests which aren't in, in conservation parks. So there's a lot of forested areas on private land um, and there's a lot of business, while all native vegetation is meant to be protected in Australia, there are a lot of exemptions for farming and agriculture and for forestry. So we need to look at protecting the remaining habitat, 
making sure it's getting better and improving in condition. And actually, we need to be looking at expanding that area of forest because that's what we all need to have a healthy planet. So on a personal level, what can sort of actions because can I as a kid or other children do about koala endangerment? Look, I mean, koalas, obviously most of the effort has to be put into koalas in Australia. Um, and But I think really what we all need to be doing in our own area is looking at the, the habitat where we live and how we can improve it. And we don't always live in a wild area. You know, I, I have a property with, with native bush on it and I can get in and, and improve that and look after and protect it. But if you live in the city, then you can't necessarily do that. But you can always improve the habitat. So always be thinking about what you can do in your area to make it better for more species. So can you provide habitat for birds? Can you grow plants on your veranda that that wildlife will come and visit? Um, can you improve, you know, plant on the sidewalk or or do some work in a local park, improving? So I think I think those sorts of local initiatives make a big difference. And koalas demonstrate that because in Adelaide, where I live, they actually come in and live in the cities because there's lots of big trees in the parks. Um, and if you plant the trees for them, they'll come. So as my final question, lots of people think that koalas are lazy and don't do much. Do you agree with that? <laughs> it's funny you know koalas do sleep a lot they sleep for up to 95 um, percent of the day of the of their time in total um but you know my cat spends a lot of time sleeping and my dog spends a lot of time sleeping and we don't think they're they're stupid um i think koalas sleep because they can you know they don't have to run away from predators they don't have to be worried about anything all they have to do is sit in their tree eat their eat their eucalypt leaves and then lie back and digest so i think they have a pretty good relaxed life and i think we could we could all do with having a slightly more relaxed life i think they're a good role model thank you so much dr claude for speaking with me today about the amazing australian animal the koala it has been a delightful conversation with you, sharing your experience and insights. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much for having me. Bye.